They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Way down top. Bang! Bang! What is this going to be? Oh! Are you kidding me? Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam. The scene. But if you watch the tape, what you will see is completely orchestrated this game. Hello and welcome to Game Theory. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. Today, we're going to talk about the trades that didn't happen at the deadline, including a LeBron James inquiry from the Golden State Warriors. Bryce, what's going on, buddy? I'm glad you're here. Man, this is uh, this is sweet, man. We I knew this was coming. I've seen some of it, but seeing it all kind of play out with the intro and all of that. I love that Kai Jones is living in the intro. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> this, this is amazing. I love it. I, I'm happy to be here. Excited to talk NBA All-Star Weekend. Kai Jones will always live in the intro. That's the one promise that I can give to the people. Kai Jones will always be here. All right, Bryce, we wanted to talk a little bit about of these deals. Didn't really happen at the deadline. And the biggest one that didn't occur, I guess, or the talks that occurred, maybe, or at least it was a conversation. According to Adrian Wojnarowski and Ramona Shelburne, the Warriors made a bid for LeBron James in the final 24 hour period before the deadline. According to Woj and Ramona, the Warriors were eager to present a package deal to LA, but neither the Lakers nor James were willing to explore a potential blockbuster. Even at 39 years old, James still playing at an all NBA level that stirred the Warriors imagination about his ability to extend the window of the franchise's fading dynasty. Uh, armed with encouragement from Draymond Green, Golden State owner Joe Lacob reached out to Jeannie Buss to inquire whether James' apparent public frustration could be interpreted as an opening to discuss a trade. Buss told Lacob the Lakers had no desire to trade James, but that he would need to seek the answer on James' state of mind from his agent, Rich Paul. Uh, Buss, I guess, has operated with the mindset that she wants her star players content with the franchise, and that instructed her thinking on referring Warriors leadership to Rich Paul. If the Lakers ever wanted a temperature check on James' commitment, here was his chance. In the end, the answer was returned resoundingly on the eve of the deadline. Rich Paul told Joe Lacob and Warriors GM Mike Dunleavy Jr. that James had no interest in a trade and wanted to remain a Laker. That is a fascinating thing as we're going through this. That is truly a lot to try and figure out. What I mean, can you like imagine this first and foremost? Like the basketball fit, we'll talk about in a second, but like even just structurally, this seems completely crazy to me that this is something that like even was brought up on some level. Yeah, like I mean, my first thought is always, yeah, what would it look like? And like you said, we'll talk about that with the Warriors and and who would make sense and how would that flow and all of those things. But then my next thought was, what's the trade? Like, what is what is the move that would make this happen? How many picks? You know, I mean, how many picks do the Warriors have to offer? What are the matching salaries? You know, like, are they putting Wiggins in it or is Wiggins not in it? You know, those type of thing. And it's like, man, like I wonder. I, I wish. I assume we'll never hear this because it never got to that point. I wonder what the Warriors were willing to offer. Like what was going out? What if Clay ends up being in the deal because they need that? Does that then make sense? So I just, it, my mind went everywhere. And then it went to, okay, what would this mean for the Lakers? Like how, 
You know, what yeah. would you what would you actually need? And if LeBron wanted out, then you actually, you know, you have to entertain it, right? Because he has a player option. So then what would you demand from the Warriors to try to build this thing out? What does that mean for AD then? What does that mean for Austin Reeves? You know, all of these different things. And this is the kind of the cool insight we get at times. I know we'll talk about Kuzma later into what could have happened whenever people sit there and they're mad at their GM because they didn't make this move or that move or Again, like with Kuzma, why didn't the Mavs get Kuzma instead of P.J. Washington? Well, now we know why, Sam, that they made the move they did instead of the one some may have wanted. So I just always love when we get these little things to digest and think about and some insights into. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think what's really interesting about this one is that the star power and the basketball fit as well is just so immediately apparent and ready. Like, can you imagine... Like we talk about Draymond Green as like the preeminent short role decision maker of his era, right? Le- LeBron James would tower over that in so many different ways. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Le- LeBron James is arguably the best rim pressure player that we've seen in NBA history from the perimeter, right? And if you gave him an advantage of running him in one four ball screens with Stephen Curry, right? Okay, sure. Let, let's like actually game this out for a second on how that two man action would work. Okay, we're going to run this. LeBron gets into the middle of the court, catches, has shooters hopefully all around him, has guys cutting to the basket. Okay, let's do it that way. Even just the action in general. Let's say that they run it with one man in the corner. Let's say that they didn't have to give up play. They had to give up like Wiggins or something like that in order to do this. They actually might have to give up play for it to be like structurally sound. But let's even just like say that they found a way to keep Clay. Clay lifting from the corner to the wing, forcing such immense pressure on that backside tagger where it's like, oh shit, I have to decide if I'm going (laughs) to tag LeBron James rolling to the basket or if I'm going to stay attached to Clay Thompson on the backside, I actually like we talk about like unstoppable actions. We've talked about Anthony Davis being, you know, unstoppable in ball screens with LeBron James. But like there are things you can do to kind of slow these things down, right? That is one where I actually don't know what you would do because of how impressive LeBron is as a finisher, how good Clay is as a floor spacer, the act, the gravitational force that Stephen Curry puts on you, because you have to fight over the screen. You can't go under screens on Steph. So you can't get that bump on LeBron as he's trying to roll to the rim. Like, this is actually, this, I think that is actually an, impo- an impossible problem to solve. Well, and LeBron James is a shooter, right? As he's developed in his career. Like one thing with Draymond that makes it somewhat manageable is you can wait to help. You can stay home a little bit longer. You can stun at him and get back. And maybe your man gets back to him before you have to fully commit. So you tag just a little bit later. You say, hey, Draymond, you want to shoot a 15-footer? Go ahead and shoot that. We'll make you shoot that a whole bunch of times. But with LeBron... You can't just let him score because he is going to score the basketball. He's going to make those shots. How about this? When you get bored of running that every time, let's run a 4-1 pick and roll, Sam, with LeBron James, or not pick and roll, pick and pop, or a ghost or whatever. So Steph Curry, who does this extremely well in terms of screening or ghosting and those type of things, 
all right, let's come up. Let's go screen LeBron's man. Let's screen that's LeBron's good. man. You going to switch it? No. Are you going to hedge? Because that's LeBron James coming off the screen now. And then you have the greatest shooter that's ever lived popping off of those actions. So you know what? Let's change it up a little bit. Now we'll run it this way and it'll still be impossible to guard. So it, but st- that's the part that would have been fun. Right, like all of the other stuff, what like seeing LeBron and Steph actually play together in meaningful games in NBA games would have been a blast. And so that's a you know probably the second thought I had after how does this actually work structurally with the trade was those two processors of the game would be a lot of fun. Yeah, LeBron is shooting thirty nine and a half percent from three this year. So oh by the way, if you get bored, let's just go back to the patented. Draymond Green, Stephen Curry ball screen where Draymond is going to process the game incredibly well. You have Clay and LeBron in the on the wings, corners, wherever you want to place them. And then you have a fifth man out there. You could put Pajemski out there. You could put whoever, you know, you ended up not moving in the steal. You might have to move pods in order to get LeBron, right? Like, yeah. Forget like even like structuring a deal. It doesn't sound like it got that far. If yeah. I'm the Lakers, I'm asking for literally everything the Warriors have in terms of their young players: Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, Brandon Pajemski, and then you know the Clay Thompson deal. Is probably what I would have asked for if I was the Lakers. Yeah, I mean that was I. I literally just wrote this down: is what would the Warriors need to have stayed, Sam, for this to be like? We just went through how impossible this would be and all of that. But they would have to keep something else to truly make a run at this thing. They're 10th in the West today. I don't know what they were on trade. You know, this was a week ago now. But you would have had to kept something. Like, I'm not Curry, LeBron, Draymond would have been fun. But you need this floor spacing around them, right? Or they do just crowd yeah. the lane. So it's like, I wonder what you would have needed to keep to make it work, to make a run. Now that you say this, I actually think you do probably have to keep Clay in order to make this work. Cause he's like actually the perfect player to play with all of those guys. Uh, So it'd have to be Wiggins. And if you're adding Wiggins in, there is no wiggle room at that point. Like it has to be all of Kaminga, Moody and pods, right? Like if you're taking the Wiggins deal, like there's just no ifs, ands or buts about it. But again, it it didn't get that far. It sounds like based on the reporting, Uh, what an incredibly fun potential deal though like everything imagining that and imagining lebron's future is interesting here as well because it sounds like daryl morey also reached out regarding lebron according to uh woj in that same story after seeing james cryptic social media post of an hourglass a week before the trade deadline philadelphia 76ers president of basketball operations daryl morey called Polinka to probe on James on a James trade and was immediately told that James wasn't available. In fact, Polinka responded by asking Maury if Joel Embiid was available, <laughs> sources said. Shout out. Shout out, Polinka. That's a great response, to be honest with you. That's I don't blame truly him. an incredible response. Uh, yeah, so like trying to figure out what LeBron's next move is here is interesting. So there's been a lot of talk about Bronny James, and we'll talk about that momentarily. He has a player option for like $51 million next season. My opinion has been always that he would never actually opt in to that player option 
because he can get an 8% raise on his current deal and get a little bit more money by opting out and signing a new one plus one deal, right? That makes all the sense in the world. That's something that should happen at the end of the day. If LeBron and Rich Paul are handling their business properly, and they always seem to in this case, they're always going to say, hey, we're going to opt out of this. We're going to stay. Let's just get the most money imaginable for LeBron. Okay, great. Having said that, it does create uncertainty, and it creates leverage for LeBron, Rich Paul, Clutch, everybody involved. And frankly, it creates leverage with Anthony Davis, who is also represented by Clutch. If LeBron was to get traded, no matter what you bring back, in my opinion, the next move, like if I'm Clutch, I'm like, I'm getting Anthony Davis out of there. And like, if Jeannie Buss is going to have this policy, according to Woj and Ramona's report of, yeah, I'm pulling this up now. As an owner, Buss is operated with the mindset that she wants her star players content with the franchise. I mean, if you can go to her and say, like, yeah, I'm no longer content with the franchise. If I'm Anthony Davis, I can go and get moved somewhere else at the end of the day. So to me, a 24-hour window is just way too hard to do all of this. But it creates intriguing possibilities in the offseason, in my opinion. Uh, and Anthony Davis obviously signed his extension. So, like, I don't even think he's trade eligible at this point. It would be more of an offseason thing if you were doing that. But it creates a tremendous amount of leverage, this player option. And uh, I think that LeBron probably just stays in L.A. Like, that seems to be the most likely outcome given all of his business interests, given like Spring Hill, his entertainment company, given uh, like there, you know, have been rumors about him wanting to invest in a franchise in Las Vegas, potentially getting a franchise. Like all of that just lines up toward him staying West Coast, continuing to play for the Lakers and continuing to uh, add to his legacy there. But if the rest of the season does not go well, LeBron, Rich Paul, Anthony Davis, these guys have a tremendous amount of leverage and hold over the Los Angeles Lakers to make things sweaty, complicated, difficult for them if they don't make the moves to continue to try and win now. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, essentially, he has that leverage to make sure that if they don't make a move or the necessary moves, plural, to make him feel like they have a chance to win an NBA championship next season, especially depending on the way the rest of this season goes. I, I pulled this up as well because we talked about the Lakers standing pat. Since they went back to D'Angelo Russell in the starting lineup, their sixth in win percentage, this was January 13th, so about a month. Um, three-point attempts have gone up just a little bit. They're third in three-point percentage, but still just like 10th in net rating. And quite honestly, D'Angelo has played out of his mind since the 13th of January. I, I don't think Austin Reeves, I'm not saying this like he's playing out of his mind, but Austin Reeves has been playing really well in that stretch again. And so it'll be interesting going back to this now, are, are they going to be able to make a run similar to what we saw last year under completely different context, right? Last year was a bunch of moves. They figured it out. This year, are they able to, or has this month been it? Like they're, this has got them into what the play-in game? They're still two and a, or play-in tournament, excuse me. They're still three and a half out of sixth place 
I guess, fifth place as well. The Suns and the Pelicans are tied there. So if this thing doesn't go like it did last year, what if they get in the playing tournament, Sam, and they lose? And, and like, and then the, the moves that need to be made to make this team better don't look like they're on the horizon. He walks into the front office and says, hey, show me the plan. And they don't have the plan that makes him happy. He just walks out. And like you said, yeah. then Anthony Davis is demanding a trade, which then I find myself going, who are the options? Like, who are the realistic options for LeBron James in free agency or whatever it would be? Like, how many teams have a real shot at him this summer? And, and here's the other, like, he's at the age where if he does want to go get another one, like, depending on what his interests are, you know, and, and we don't know that. I, I don't know that. But if it's really about winning a championship, is it that crazy to think like, hey, my last couple of years, I'm actually going to play. I really want to make a couple more runs at this. So, and there's some teams out there that you could like, hey, you put LeBron James on that team, man, that's a, uh, obviously a, a title contender. Yeah. Somebody brings up Philly right away. We just talked about them. You know, New York has put done a lot of really good things. You know, you add him there. I don't know if there's a couple other teams that could make sense as well for just for him. Yeah, so the Philly one is the one that just, you know, obviously Daryl Morey has been building toward a potential star move this summer, right? From the Harden deal until now, including his decisions at the deadline to go get Buddy Heald instead of going to get somebody else. All of those things to me track as I'm trying to go get a star, be it the two guys that are available off the top of my head, LeBron James, potentially, if he doesn't pick up his player option, Paul George, if he decides George. not to yep. resign with the Clippers. Uh, there are also going to be trade options. They've decided yep. not to use their draft capital at the deadline in order to keep it, to roll it over this summer, to be able to trade more of it in order to get another star next to Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. So Philadelphia stands out as like the one that, when I look at it, I'm like, yes, that that's a real potential plausible outcome. Now, the teams beyond that, I think, are also incredibly interesting. There are teams with cap space this summer, but to me, I, I can't imagine that it's not like some sort of sign-in trade deal. And you would have to look at teams at the top of the league right now in order to try and spot who it's going to be. I don't think Boston would really work. I don't think the Clippers would really work just financially. I think that'd be an incredibly difficult move. Although I will say they have some expiring salary coming uh, off of their books this year. Uh, it would be difficult even still with that. Uh, and going from the Lakers to the Clippers, can you imagine that? Like LeBron's like final move. Um, Opening the new arena know, like, next year and everything. Yeah. Like, Phoenix, maybe the Lakers, like maybe not. There's just no way Phoenix can do that financially unless they move one of their three big stars. Uh, I want to hit the Warriors last. I mean, the Pelicans, they have the Brandon Ingram and Zion stuff, but I don't think they're really a contender. The Knicks, like it seemed like based on the reporting that the Knicks are kind of all in on their longer term view of getting like a star to build around for the long term, not just for a couple of years with LeBron. Uh, Dallas, I think, is a really interesting option if you could find a way to make a sign and trade work there. Uh, I think, honestly, like maybe the option that is like fascinating to me beyond the one that I kind of want to close on, 
like Denver, Milwaukee. I don't see either of those things happening, but Golden State like is kind of the best option to me. Sure. Like in terms of playing with Stephen Curry, in terms of the basketball fit, in terms of everything that comes with it, if they're willing to do it, it's either them or Philly, which to me kind of says that I think it's probably just going to be LA. I think he probably just stays in LA. And I think he's going to end up closing his career with Los Angeles because the whole thing that the Lakers did in addition to Philadelphia is that they set themselves up to be potential players in a star trade. Uh, And I would imagine that they will give up all of their three picks, three swaps, whatever they have young player wise, the teams want uh, Max Christie, Jalen Huchfino, whatever, in order to get a Donovan Mitchell, a Trey young, whatever. Uh, I've seen some speculation that Trey young, like won't have a lot of value. Trey young's going to have an immense amount of value on the trade market. Uh, There will be like a legitimate bidding war for Trey young, uh, undeniably in the same way that there is for Donovan Mitchell. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see what, to see what the Lakers do. And the other piece of this that's hanging over it all is Bronny James. And I tweeted about this yesterday and I tend not to love wading into the waters of like talking negatively about prospects in general, but it's, it was alluded to, let's say, in the athletics article about all of this from Anthony Slater, Sam Amick, and I think uh, Yovan Bua did it. The Lakers, per the high-ranking team source that somebody talked to, are willing to explore the notion of adding Bronny James next season. The stance, the source said, is rooted in the reality that LeBron's happiness truly matters to the organization. I get it that LeBron wants to play with Bronny. And I can tell you that like, this was absolutely a thing that came up during Bronny's recruitment, right? Like that LeBron and Bronny want to play together. You know, they want to be in the NBA together, everything like that. Let's start here. Actually, no, I'll say it first. So you don't have to say it first. I can say it. Bronny James to this point in the season has not been a legitimate 2024 NBA draft prospect. Agreed. Uh, Why do you believe that? Like when you watch Bronny, what are your takeaways from that? Yeah. I mean, I, I am intrigued by Bronny. He's on my list. He's in my not 2024, yeah. but maybe 2025 list. I, you know, I have a hundred guys ranked. I have some more and it's not even that he may not be better than some of the guys I have ranked. It's just like, I've watched him play and I'm intrigued. There's, there's defensive stuff there. It's, you know, can he really shoot it? Those type of things. But I'm like, Hey, another year, let him grow and develop. And he comes back next year and really kind of lives up to that in terms of the the three and d i guess kind of archetype or whatever and and then i would be all in on it but i just you know you you talk about this what you don't rank freshmen that are outside your what 50 or 60 or something like that 50 we're getting to the point where at this point in the season i'll start to do it uh because if guys declare for the draft like i have to consider them at the end of the day right that's the reality but uh, I don't like to do it. No, uh, I think and, it's a little bit uh, irresponsible on my part. And and the other thing is just like, I was talking to a scout the other day and they were essentially like, I sent him my board and he, they, they were like, Bryce, 
anybody past your top 60, you probably shouldn't have any of these little guards over wings. Like if you're going to take like a chance on like a two way undrafted guy, teams are going to want wings. Now that's not an end all be all. I'm not saying, and, and this was just one scout of many that I talked to and this was their take. But my thing is like, so then if I don't think Bronny's top 60 and he's a guard, then why am I putting him over some of these wings that I have as undrafted free agent types? And the other thing is we brought this up. There's a lot of guards I like, and it's, you know, is he mm-hmm. better than like, who's better right now? Bronny James or Hunter Salas? Hunter Salas is so far ahead of Bronny right now. Is about but, Hunter, how, but Hunter Salas isn't a first round pick. Is he a guaranteed second round pick? I have Hunter like in the 25 to 45. Okay. Right so good. You're a little higher. Good. Cause I've, I've felt a little crazy with how high I want to have him, but like there, there's just name after name is like, is Bronny better than this guy? Is he better than this guy? And I'm not even sure I would, you should be taking this guy in the second round. Now I'm looking at taking Lakers have what the 57th pick Sam. So I guess if you say it's worth keeping LeBron James in LA by taking Bronny with the 57th pick, I wouldn't argue that, I guess. I find myself going, is this what's best for Bronny? If Bronny is truly on a path to the NBA, is this? Maybe it is. Maybe being there with the Lakers, with his dad, with their player development and everything else, maybe it is. Maybe that's better than staying another year in college. I don't know. I find myself wondering that. Because I feel like this is the first time where truly just the fact that he's LeBron James's son is getting him way more hype than what he should, right? Like he was a legit division one basketball player recruit and all of that. <laughs> he is now a legit division one basketball player. He is a legit NBA draft prospect, but I don't think he's a 2024 NBA draft prospect based off what we've seen so far. So I agree with all of that. Now I want to kind of give like a baseline view of Bronny here as we kind of dive into this, right? So Bronny right now is playing for a nine and 15 USC team that has been arguably the most disappointing team in college basketball this season. That's fair to say, right? Uh, They have Isaiah Collier. They had a top five recruiting class this year. Kobe Uh, Johnson Johnson is a guy that I really like and think has a real chance to play in the NBA. Uh, And we'll kind of talk about LeBron uh, Bronny and, Kobe Johnson, honestly, I think is an interesting point of comparison uh, long-term. But Bronny right now is playing for that team. He's averaging 5.8 points, three rebounds, 2.6 assists, 0.8 steals in 21 minutes a night. He's shooting 35.6% from the field and 27.1% from three, 61.5% from the line. He is a smart ball mover, I guess I would say. Uh, he knows how to make quick rotations. Uh, he knows how to make quick reversals. He is a physical defender at the point of attack. I think he does a pretty good job on that end. If I'm being honest, I think he's like actually quite good on defense, like against Cal recently. I watched that game this morning. Actually, uh, he got the Jalen Tyson matchup and did okay against Jalen. I thought, uh, they matched him up with a few different guys like Jalen Cohn. And then at times they had him as like the low man, like kind of guarding a corner shooter, things like that. But the problem with Brownie right now, kind of above all is that he is a, I think he was measured at like six, two and a half or so, something like that. Six, two and a half, six, three guard. Who's like a three and D guard. And that's really the skill set 
right? Like Toby in the comments asks, can Brawny be a Deuce McBride level player? That's worth a second round pick for sure. I would agree, but Deuce was way ahead in terms of the ball skills. Like way, way, way far ahead in terms of where he was with the ball in his hand in college at West Virginia. Think about when you watch Deuce McBride now. Like, I'm not saying it's hard for him to dribble in the NBA right now, but he's not like a playmaker. Like, the reason that he hasn't been able to play a ton with the Knicks for the most part is that, like, he's not really a true point guard necessarily. Like, he's a great defender. He can knock down shots. He can at times, like, initiate and bring the ball up the court. But, like, in that Cal game, I don't know if, like, Bronny got a paint touch in that Cal game. Uh, he might have gotten, like, one or two, but it didn't feel like he was able to pressure the rim at all. And that's always been a thing going back with him in half court settings. Like what is his role? It's going to be like as a shooter and it's going to be as a defender on defense, but he's like six, two and a half. And it's, if he was like six, six, it would be a different conversation, but being that small really changes things. And again, that's why like, I think the Kobe Johnson thing is kind of an interesting contrast here because Kobe Johnson is a better defender than he is right now. He's like pretty close to the same level shooter, right? He can pass, he can play make, he can do all the stuff. It's just that Kobe is like six, five and a half. Yeah. And like bigger. And like, I don't know if he's stronger. Bronny's pretty strong, but like, like Kobe Johnson is like just bigger he's kind of a better bet i think than Bronny. and i don't have kobe johnson in my top 60 right now because kobe hasn't had a good year he hasn't shot the ball well yeah i i, I so, pulled up oh go ahead sorry no no no, no go ahead yeah. i was just gonna say i just pulled up deuce's like college stats deuce yeah. also shot 41 percent from three his sophomore year deuce yeah. averaged what five this this is per 40 5.7 assists his sophomore year. Honestly, their freshman year numbers are somewhat similar, Sam. But again, was Deuce, was Deuce McBride getting drafted? And here's the other thing. How much was that development of one more year of college part of this what is, has... That's where I want to yeah, go. Yeah. Part of his so, success that he's having now. This is the biggest thing. If you were to put Bronny in the G League right now, right? I think it would be very difficult for him to get on ball reps uh, against the guys that he'd be playing against. In college, if he shows some improvement and look like Bronny had like a tough year this year, like he had the heart uh, incident in the summer, probably got behind the eight ball a little bit. But even so, like the skill set on the ball has always been a little bit deficient for a guy that's six, two and a half right? Six, three, whatever we want to call him. He has a much better chance of getting the developmental reps that he needs on the ball in order to play like potentially as a three and D point guard, like Patrick Beverly, you know, Deuce McBride, guys like that. These are the kind of players worth comparing him to. Pat Bev was a killer with the ball in his hands when he was in college. And then he went over to Europe and was a killer with the ball in his hands. Deuce McBride was amazing. He was like a borderline All-American the year I thought that he was at West Virginia. And I ended up with him as like a top 20, top 25 prospect in that class, something like that. 
it's going to be a lot easier for Bronny to get the reps that he needs by staying in school, I think, than it is by going to the G League. And I think that my opinion on it is that it would be harmful for Bronny hitting his ceiling and his potential as a potential NBA player once LeBron, you know, his career ends and once things finish. The the goal here, in my opinion, is not for LeBron to play with Bronny. The goal here is to create a sustaining, long-lasting NBA player in Bronny James. That's how I think about all of this with prospects. And to me, that that shouldn't change just because Bronny is LeBron's son. Uh, Putting him through to this 2024 draft would be rushing this so substantially and drastically to where it's really hard for me to get behind. Like it, it is you, you listen to the way that LeBron, like n- not listen to it. Like, well, I guess listen to it. Cause LeBron is the one that said uh, like Bronny could be in here and he'd be like better than some of the guys like on the team or whatever. And you say he like, could be like that. in their rotation today or something like could that be in their rotation today. Like that's, that's crazy to me. Uh, you compare that with the way that Carmelo uh, in the 7 p.m. in Brooklyn podcast with um, Kid Miro talks about Kyan and building Kyan's career. Kyan is like just as interesting a long-term prospect as Bronny is. And Carmelo is talking about it from the perspective of, hell no, like if he's not ready to go to the NBA, he better sit his ass back in school and like get ready because that's the way that we're going to go. It's just a reduction of expectations I think that is critical when trying to figure all of this out and when trying to not put pressure on the player himself in Bronny's case and Kyan's case. And I, I much prefer the Carmelo way to go about it. Like I, I think that it sets up the kid within the social media heavy atmosphere and hype world that we live in now for a better chance of like not being seen as a disappointment in some way. Like Br- Brownie shouldn't be seen as a disappointment. Like he's a legitimate like D one <laughs> basketball player. Big time. Like That's he's not time. a one and done this. Be- because like people put him in the top 10 of mock drafts this year, which was completely crazy from the jump. Yeah. Like that you should, you should never like see that is being a reflection on the kid who, by the way, like anytime I've seen that kid in person, anytime, like I was there at hoop summit, right. He was so, so well adjusted and was like, like super impressive and like was so like smart when you'd hear him speak. It was like to grow up around everything he's had with like, like LeBron and everything. Like it's such a, Hey, it's like a reflection on like LeBron and his partner, Savannah, like, you know, building such an impressive kid in the face of so much pressure and hype around him. But like B like, it's also that this kid is a good kid. And like, I hope that he's able to get through it. Yeah, no, I mean, I also, well, first I want to say, I understand the motivation here. Like the, the, 
opportunity to play the game you love with your child would be amazing. Like my oldest son is nine years old now. And I just think like even some of the stuff we get to do now, he watches games with me. He'll take stats. So I'm watching, you know, guys play last night for NBA draft stuff, you know, my scouting and whatever. And he's got his little notebook out, keeping stats on him and all of that. So I get it, right? Like you were one of the greatest players ever walked the earth and your son. And that's, that's the other, I'm glad you said that. Cause it, it makes it sound like, oh, Bronny's not going to, you know, he may not be one and done. Like, no, like what he's accomplished is amazing. Like b- playing at that level of basketball. I mean, I, I shout out anybody who plays any sort of collegiate sport at any of the levels because that takes a certain level of commitment. The other thing I would worry about, how many more years does LeBron have, Sam? What happens to Bronny and people's kind of commitment to growing him and him sticking in the NBA and all of that? when LeBron is gone, right? Because while, while LeBron is there, there's gonna like they're going to make sure. But we know the NBA is a tough place to make it, even for the most talented of players. You know, how invested are teams going to be in his success after LeBron is gone? And so I think I'm with you. Like, sometimes there's guys like, hey, get out of the college situation, get to the pro level, start getting... I would prefer to see Bronny one more year. I, I think that is what would be best for him in terms of his development, his path into professional basketball and his basketball career and all of that. that that's where I'm at. Again, I understand the motivation that, hey, playing with my kid would be amazing. But I personally, I side with you that I don't think that that's actually what that's for Bronny's personal basketball path, arch, you know, uh, not archetype, uh, trajectory and everything else. Yes. Um, and, and his success. He, he needs the on-ball reps, I think is the reality. Like you, you cannot be a 6'2", 6'3", guard in the NBA. And I know he's listed at 6'4", but like I, I don't think he's 6'4". Um, you can't be that level, that size, and be a guard in the NBA and just not have like high-level ball skills. Um, it, it's just way too hard. It, it, it's just way, way too hard. Uh I think he has a chance. That's why I like, that's why we talk about this and spend time on it. Yeah. It's not because we think that he's like not an NBA player and this is some weird, like nepotistic thing. It's that like, I do think he has a chance to play in the NBA at some point. That's interesting. And, Cause if he didn't, a, I would say just draft him and let's get it over with, give him a spot, correct. take him with the 57th pick and let's move on. And he'll be out of the NBA when LeBron retires and great. I think we're showing him how much we believe in him by saying, no, 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 no. Let's not go down this path because you have actual real NBA potential not to just be hanging on because you're LeBron's son. Right. Right. Like people will bring up like the Thanasis on Ted Sure. Or like the the one was like Costas, like got some real shots in the NBA for a while there. Uh, Like he's way, way better than Costas and Ted Acumpo. He, he, is somebody that like has a real chance to play in the league. And I think that it's a developmental track that is precarious and fraught, I guess. And that he just needs to, he needs time to develop. Like he, he needs time to figure out his game, like kind of work through some things and be able to uh, get through all of that pathway. So we'll see where it lands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You bringing up the summer thing is important too. And, And of course, like, all like I'm sure his heart and everything, you know, they did everything to make sure he could play. And, and I'm just so happy that he's healthy and able to play. Missing that summer is huge. 
and you know yeah. the preparation for the season. So that's another thing that plays into it. Like we probably aren't seeing the best Bronny James we could have seen if he would have had all that preparation. Like going into your freshman year of college is hard just as a general student. My first year at the I went JUCO and then D1. Like my head was spinning for a semester, both stops, but I was a junior, Sam, going division one. And my head was spinning the first semester, like just trying to keep up with everything. I couldn't imagine if I wouldn't have had the summer. I went up there and trained, got familiar, got acclimated to the city, all of those things. And so like, who knows how good he could be next year if he gets a, yeah. you know, a season of, of this an off season to prepare all of that comes back. He shoots 38% from three and is this high level, you know, pac 12 defensive first team defender type of thing and all of that. And like, now we're talking about, Hey, Bronny James is a top 40 guy, like legitimately, no matter who wants to draft him type of thing. And I think that's where we're both at is this is a real, this is a real prospect. Let's treat him like that. Not as just a tag along to LeBron's career. That, but I also wonder if, because all of this has happened, if Clutch and LeBron and Rich Paul and those folks see this as an opportunity to confirm that, like, because other teams might not take him or select him, that we can get him. Oh, now yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we can yeah, get yeah. him with LeBron. I just don't think it's going to be what's best for his development at the end of the day. Yeah. But we'll see where it goes. Uh, okay. The other deals that didn't happen that we want to talk about Kyle Kuzma to Dallas. I think is like a fascinating one that uh, I believe Mark Stein reported, like there was something on the, uh, a potential outcome there that could have happened. And Kuzma is the one that actually kind of turned it down. I think that somebody brought up uh, a really good point earlier in the comments that, you know, Michael Winger, he and uh, Will Dawkins, uh, Will Dawkins specifically, uh, is who he was referring to is from Oklahoma city and respecting a player's wishes and potential trade feels like a very Sam Presti thing to do. Uh, yeah, it kind of does to me, to be honest with you, it feels very Sam Presti. And if Washington wants to kind of rebuild its reputation league wide as an organization, I think it's fine not to move Kyle Kuzma. The, the deals will be there at the end of the day. There are going to be deals for Kyle Kuzma over the next two years. And if you want to keep Kuzma because he wants to be in Washington, which is something I've kind of sneaky heard as well, like that he is happy in Washington right now. I don't know. I, I don't see it as the worst thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, and you said he's always going to be tradable, you know, barring injury or some complete fall off. Cause that, tr that contract is ridiculous. Like it, it's descending. Yeah. It's a descending contract that as the cap goes up, it obviously goes down. I also like, I never know how to weigh these things. And I don't think we'll ever know, but like, you just never know the long-term payoff of this, of the wizards, quote unquote, doing right by a player, right? Like, do they actually get some sort of payoff down the road? Because they went to Kuzma and said, this is what we told you that we would come talk to you. And we wouldn't, you know, deal you in a trade that you didn't want to go to or be a part of. Do you want to be a part of it? Kuzma says no, and they respect that. We don't ever know. Like, we can't measure that. And if we ever do, it'll be anecdotal, anecdotal evidence. But who knows what kind of relationship that stems with an agent or an agency or another player who goes, man, I got wrong by this organization or this GM. 
I would love to play with somebody who would just shoot me straight and then keep to their word. And so we just never really know what comes of those things. So I initially went, what is Kyle Kuzma doing? Like, why don't you want to go play with the Mavericks? Then I dove into some stats for Kyle Kuzma this year, usage, attempts, all of these things that are at the top of his career compared to what it would be in Dallas. That made a little bit more sense. I think my biggest thing that I think Kuzma said, like, I'm not sure how close Washington is, but if he's happy making his money, living in Washington, D.C., getting his shots, all of those things, then like, who am I to judge him? I'm not the one that worked my tail off to make it to the NBA. Like I have a hard time judging guys on where they want to go to play and what their roles are and those type of things. Like I'm fine. If that's what he wants, if that's what makes him happy, more power to him. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at too. Like a Kuzma uh, spent some time and talked to Josh Robbins over at the athletic. Uh, He said there was a point in time, Dallas, they definitely did want me. Winger presented me with what the trade was and obviously didn't want to trade me and kind of left the decision up to me a little bit and asked me what I wanted to do. I told him I wanted to stay and continue to build something. And that was kind of the end of it. Cool. Like I, 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 great. Cool with you, Kyle Kuzma. I was trying to figure out like what that deal would be. It probably was the same first round pick they moved for PJ Washington. And I would bet it was probably like an additional younger player on top of it. Uh, maybe a Jaden Hardy, maybe a Omax Prosper, maybe, you know, something in that ballpark. Cause I think Kuzma had a little bit more value than what BJ Washington did uh, on the trade market. But end of the day, like, I think this is a really, like whatever Kyle Kuzma wants to do is cool. I think he would have been a better fit. I, I don't know. That's a good question. Do you like PJ Washington or do you like Kyle Kuzma more for Dallas? No, I like Kuzma. Like, I just think Kuzma's a better player. So even if you want to hash out some other things, I still would just... I've come to really like Kuzma's game. And you called me out one of my first episodes, right? I tried to lump Poole and Kuzma together. And you said, whoa, whoa, Bryce, like, stop right there. Those are not the same type of just, like, offensive, you know, chucker type of players. And I was like, yeah, yeah, right. Like, that that was that was a good reminder not to just continue to... Ch- we were talking about Bilal Koulibaly and how much usage he was going to get. There, there was other context around the conversation. But, yeah, I think that's what I wanted to ask you too. take all of this other stuff out of it, right? There's no promise. We'll let you, you know, what would you have done the deal either way? Like, yes or no. Like would for the wizards was a first round pick and Omax enough for the Mavs. Would you rather have Kuzma over PJ Washington? If it meant adding Omax or Hardy to the deal that they didn't have to add in the PJ Washington deal. I actually wonder if, I wonder if PJ might actually be a little bit better of a playoff fit for them. I think Kuzma is a better player than PJ, to be honest. Yeah. But I wonder if there is a better playoff fit there, just in terms of you might be able to go a little bit smaller with PJ at the five. Okay. Fair. In the playoffs, you might be able to like, but I think they want to keep one of Gafford or Lively out there at all times. So maybe not. I don't know. I probably wouldn't have done either of those deals. I would have done the Gafford deal for sure. Uh, if I was them and Gafford's been amazing for Dallas so far and has been incredible and, you know, looks every bit like what we expected him to be, or I expected him to be at the very least, uh, PJ has not looked great in my opinion so far for Dallas offensively. It has been a bit of a slog trying to figure him out so far, uh, defensively. I think he has been more engaged. I will say that, uh, 
it'll be interesting. I do think PJ probably gives them a little bit more lineup flexibility in the playoffs, though. And to be honest, I'm like really into this Dallas team right now with how they've looked since then. Uh, I think like I'm doing uh, I'm going on a podcast early next week and we're doing like contender stuff. And I like kind of listed out like contenders and I had Dallas higher than what I should. I feel like uh, is a potential team that could cause some real uh, some real problems for people in the playoffs. You could get them to four. I could get them to five. I think I would struggle past that. I think you're talking in the West or overall in the West, in the West. Well, yeah. I mean, okay. if I add in the East, I'm only definitely at now two teams for sure. And then barring Embiid's yeah. injury. So, yeah, we'll talk about, we'll talk about that maybe at a later date next week. Okay. Um, that's all of, I mean, do we have any other like trades that didn't get done that we want to talk about? I, I don't, I don't know that I saw anything that was like actually kind of close that like or like could have happened that we didn't get to. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I I don't I do not have any. Okay. Let's uh let's go to the All-Star game. So the okay. All-Star weekend is about to start this week and I am like not somebody that's ever been like a big All-Star weekend guy, right? I, I really, really am not a huge fan of it and tend to use it as more of a time to like kind of relax a little bit, right? Uh, I'll watch college games. I'll kind of catch up in that stuff. But I am just not somebody that loves that idea. I will say I'm encouraged by the fact that like Adam Silver is going on like McAfee's show and being like, hey, we're like really trying to make this weekend like a thing again, and we're trying to get it going. Uh, I like the idea of like a Stephen Curry, Sabrina Ionescu three point contest. I think yes. that's super fun. Absolutely. Uh, I don't love the structure of the new Rising Stars competition. Oh, you don't? Honest. Okay, like, interesting. Like the four teams, I, I don't totally love it. Uh, having said that, I think that like, this weekend like used to be a thing, man. Yeah. Like this used to like be something that mattered. Like when Kobe played, he really went for it. So my question to you is where are we at on all of this? Where are we at on all-star weekend? Is it something you look forward to? Is there something that can be fixed? Yeah. So first um, I think like the first thing you text me was, what are you looking forward to the most? And I put the same thing at the top of my list. You know, like people know I have to watch every Pistons game. And so I watch all of those. I'm trying to keep up with NBA teams as much as possible, watching one or two full games there, you know, college, all of that stuff. And so it's like, man, I have a whole week here where there's no NBA games that I need to make sure I watch so we can talk about and can kind of just focus in on some of these college things. Like I feel pretty good where I'm at with most of the guys I rewatch. I watched some Zach Eady. We had talked about that where I really needed to dive into his film a little bit more, but it, it'll be good just to keep track and, and revisit some guys. Maybe I haven't watched in a little while. So I will take this time to just settle in a little bit. I will say all-star weekend hasn't been something for me in a few years. And I came up, I have some ideas. I pulled some people. I came up with some of my own ideas. It was really interesting to get people's thoughts. My favorite all-star game memory is actually Allen Iverson, Stephon Marbury, those guys making a crazy comeback in the fourth quarter 
of one of those years, the Vince Carter dunk contest, like Vince, like that was insane. The, the year he did that, but obviously it's changed a lot. The dunk contest has lost favor a little bit. So I went through it today. I think Steph and Sabrina were my number one thing that I was looking forward to. I'm really excited to watch yeah. that just because I'm one of those people. I, I was a three point shooter. That was my quote unquote specialty. So I always like that and respect it. Um, I actually am a little bit intrigued by the rising stars game. Like I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how that one goes. And I know like maybe the four teams and all of that, but I'm interested to see how hard they play because I think that's what it'll come down to. And I think that's going to be a theme as we kind of talk through this weekend is how can you get everybody to take these things a little more serious in terms of competition? That's it. Like, are these dudes going to play hard? That's like Michael Malone seriously said, like, this was not, this was not an NBA basketball game last year after the all-star game. He coached in it and was just like, he seemed like disgusted by the entire situation. So can we get it to a place where it's competitive? Like, do we add money? I know that Shea Gilgis Alexander said that like, you know, if you add money to this thing, like uh, with the in-season tournament, I think you might get guys to play harder. Uh, Look, I mean, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Like the all-star weekend is a real value add for the league. And if you have to add money to it to get the level to back to where it was and make it so it's not, you know, 173 point shots being taken. And if you think that's an exaggeration, I literally think two years ago there were like 165 three point shots taken in the all star game. Like, you got to find a way to do it. Uh, I, I am glad that they've gotten rid of like Elam ending. I'm glad that for this year they're doing. East versus West again. I think that that kind of helps maybe get guys to play like a little bit harder. Uh, you know what? One of the biggest, know, what, the most common answer I got from the people I text today, they want them to bring the jerseys back. People miss. And obviously I kind of talked to people that were around my age because that's usually who's in your contacts. But yeah. they they miss the the them wearing their actual team jerseys, you know. So the East would be the home team this year, probably with it being in, in Indiana, and the West would be the away team. But you would wear your team away or your team home jersey. I had multiple people, and they would come up with other things as well, Sam. But so many of them said they missed those jerseys, and it's kind of funny because I kind of miss that as well. And I'm not even like a jersey person. I don't normally care about alternates whatever but i thought it was a cool little twer- you know quirks uh, you know between having those jerseys i think that's kind of a cool one i mean like dave shout out dave our great producer here mentions dunk contest needs superstars like it was interesting that jalen brown like kind of raised his hand yeah, and is like sure. hey like let's go for this right like that's it's kind of cool to me like I- i'm intrigued by that I'm not wildly intrigued by like watching Mac McClung dunk again. I'm uh, good with I mean, yeah. like, like I, I think this has a chance to like be like not an awesome one because like Jacob Toppin is. Even if he does cool stuff, is, is anybody going to care? Like it's it's not even Obi. Like it's it's. J- I, I I put in my notes, Sam. I think it's going to be a dud. Like I just and and maybe it'll end up being better because I my expectations are going to be so low. But I found myself conjuring up some excitement about everything else 
other than the dunk contest. Like I, I don't have a whole lot of interest right now. I think I agree. Like I can get excited about the three point contest, like watching yep. Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton, Damian Lillard, Laurie Markinen, Donovan Mitchell, Carl Towns, Trey Young. Like those are like legit stars. And we're like, we're going for it, right? Like yep. that sounds pretty cool to me. Dunk contest is like two guys that are basically G League guys and Jaime Jaquez, who I don't know, like how many dunks do you think Jaime Jaquez had at UCLA? <laughs> like that's a, like a genuine question. I don't know. It'll be, are, are you able to look? I, I don't ever look things up just to make sure my internet doesn't drop as I'm trying to look things up. So I assume you can find this. Yeah, I can find it. Like I can find last year at least and like pull that up while we're talking. But like, was not like a big time dunker. Like he had 17 dunks last year at UCLA, right? Uh, it's not a, it's not a wild number for a guy that's in the dunk contest. Uh, and he's, you know, he had, he had six the year before that and look like he had ankle injuries, like things like that. You know, he wasn't that kind of guy, but you know, he's gotten more athletic over the course of this time. It's just, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a little bit, a little bit disappointing to me. I, I think Jalen Brown's going to win. I do. I think Jalen Brown's going to win the dunk contest. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, I could see that happening. Let's see. Somebody put the odds down there. Oh, McClung is the favorite. Listen, McClung. Yeah, so, go ahead. Mac McClung minus 190. Jalen Brown plus 420. Jacob Toppin plus 600. Jaime Hawkins plus 650. That sounds right. Like, I, I think Jalen Brown's a good. I think that's a great number for Jalen Brown, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I, I just. <laughs> I don't really care about the dunk contest, to be quite honest. Like, I'm sorry. I, I know that's probably not what I'm supposed to say. But it, here's the other thing I did. I went and looked at the college basketball schedule for these days to see, like, with their college basketball, I guess. Maybe they did this on purpose. Maybe not. There's actually not a ton of overlap where I'm like, oh, I'm definitely watching this game of college hoops. There might be some really good ones Saturday before this all gets started, but like in direct competition, they kind of stayed away from it. So, cause I'll be honest, like if I got a really good college basketball game, if I got Kansas Baylor, I know this already happened. I, I would be watching that as opposed to just about any of this or, you no know, question. you know, some big East matchup with Yukon or Kentucky and whoever, you know, like any of that that I could have got caught live, I would have been watching that stuff. This is a great question from Luke Byrne. Who are the best dunkers in the NBA right now? Shane Sharp's fun. Yeah. That was actually like the first name that came to mind to me was probably Shaden Sharp right now. Uh, Anthony Edwards is up there. Oh, John yeah. Morant's up there for sure. And, and so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like, I don't know if Zion like really is Zion like still kind of that guy. Maybe a little bit. Um, I mean, like another good question is Levine, like Eric Jones Jr. Maybe, uh, somebody brought up Bilal Koulibaly in the comments. That's an interesting name as well. But there, there are a lot of really good dunkers that, you know, could be in this thing and just are not anything resembling in this thing. So it's disappointing. The, oh, Cam Whitmore. Don't, don't get us started. Um, my wife, my Cam would, Cam would be fun. Cam would contest, be fun. Man. 
my wife was not impressed with some of Victor Wimbanyama's dunks because he doesn't even leave the floor. And I was like, babe, this man is seven foot five. The fact that he got to the rim the way he did is the impressive part. It's not about how yeah. he finished it. This 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 kid is doing these things. So God bless her. Um, not impressed with Victor Wimbanyama's dunking. Ooh, Brian K brought up Jalen Johnson, Jalen Green, Jalen Williams, Jalen Suggs. Uh, the the four Jalen dunk contest I think would be fun. Jalen Johnson and Jalen Green particularly, I think yeah. they're really really interesting names. But like. Yeah, like if, if you could do like Anthony Edwards, John Morant, Zion Williamson, Zach Levine. I don't know if Levine would do it. He's hurt right now, obviously, so like he couldn't do it. But like throw in like a Men Thompson or a Sar Thompson with one of yeah. with them. Like let's go nuts, man. Like figure out a way to incentivize the dunk contest again or get rid of it. I, I think that's kind of where I'm at. So I had a lot of people say that about the All Star Game too. <clears throat> like if they're not going to play it any differently than how it's been played, just just get rid of it. Like we don't even want to watch it anymore. Yep. Here's my, here's kind of my thing though. And here's why I would get rid of the dunk contest. The all-star game has all the same dunks anyway. Like they, all the stuff they're doing in the, like they can do those same things in the game. But what I want to see is like, I'm okay. If the first half is that right. Like I, I kind of get it. I just want to see the last 12 to 18 minutes of the game action get competitive. Give me a quarter yep. of these guys going hard and I will understand. I'm cool if the first part is through. Because here's the thing, though. When they're not even playing hard at all, even the dunks don't look cool. If they're playing just a little bit of defense, that lob pass looks a little bit better or, you know, those type of things. It was just so nothing that it was like you're pretty much just playing five on zero on both ends with guys just standing there. But if you can yep. give me – if you guarantee me the last 15 minutes Dudes are going to get competitive. The best players on the floor are on the floor. I would invest. I, I would live with that, but it doesn't even seem like we get that. It does not seem like we even get that. Uh, a couple of ideas. You want to list off a couple of the ideas that you brought up. So like you had USA versus world here. I don't, I'm more of an East West, like traditionalist. Uh, the other one that you had here that did pique me though, in terms of being that like East West traditionalist guy, old versus young is fascinating. This like, one takes was... the median age of the all-star teams and Can then I... say the older guys versus the younger guys. That's one that I think would work. Can I give the teams real quick? I'll just rattle them off. So I did, I did the numbers. Yeah. 27.75 was the mean age. 27 was the median age. If that math isn't right, sue me. I'm a science teacher. The old team would be Steph, Lillard, LeBron, Giannis, Jokic, Durant, AD, Paul George, Kawhi, Cat, Brunson, and Mitchell, who were both 27, but on the upper end of the 27 between the four that were right at 27. The young team would be Halliburton, SGA, Luka, Tatum, Bam, Ant, Booker, Maxi, Young, Paolo, Barnes, and Brown. Booker and Brown being the younger of the four 27-year-olds that were right there on the line. I actually thought this was a really cool idea. I was like, man, this this would be kind of the idea being do the older guys get a little more competitive with this situation? Do some of these young yeah. guys go at them? How many guys are trying to say, no, 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 LeBron, you've had your time. Curry, you've had your time, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We're gonna come take this one from you. This is the one idea of like five on five games that really piqued my interest. Well, and I wonder too, so like on each team, like the East and the West team, right? You kind of have like the old heads that have been there for a while. 
and they kind of set the tone for it, right? In terms of yeah. like not going all that hard. And, you know, we've been here before. We know what this is now. On the young team, if you don't have anybody like setting that tone, like Luca's been there a bunch, obviously. It's that like, you know, we're not going to sit here and say he hasn't. But what if they just come out and go with these guys from yes. the jump and say, hey, we're going to come out and like blitz you and like go. I kind of think that'd be good. I think yeah. that'd be really good. No, it, it would, it would be, it would be awesome. And I think you have some guy like Halliburton seems like one that would kind of have some fun with it or whatever, but I could see SGA just going, you get Luca talked into it. Bam will play hard. And, you know, and then I just kind of, I think about years from now, then you got Victor and Chet who are trying to put their stamp on things. When they start making these games, they're going to be on that young team for a while. Uh, Again, shout out Nick Crane. He's the one that texted me this because this was not an original idea for me. So shout out Nick. I was like, of all the things, I I just sat there and like thought for a little while, like what if we talk about this on game theory and like it gets back to silver and the NBA actually runs with this. Like, is this something we could really push that the NBA would run with? Well, it's like, so like, can you imagine if like they came out and just like blitzed them from the oh, jump? The young it would guys, be amazing. And the and the old guys just come go like, fuck, like we we need to go. LeBron's like we, not gonna let that happen in an All Star game. Not, not gonna not get with, embarrassed. Like not with Steph, his reputation. Dudes, no, they're not gonna get embarrassed. I don't think. Yeah. the The only thing that kind of wasn't great about this year is um, the young guys don't have a bunch of bigs. Like bam, and then you, your your only other two bigger type players even are Paolo and Barnes. Like there was a little bit of, yeah. you know, that wasn't exactly perfect. But to me, it's like you work around it and you figure it out. Who like who cares? I love it. I absolutely love it. That's a that's a genius idea. Like that's a yeah. truly like really really good idea, Bryce. I think. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, that that's that's a that's that's the one. That's the one that we should do. You also mentioned lifting all-star game rosters to 15. Totally with it. Like sounds great. I'm all for it. I've been talking about that for a while. Uh 15-man rosters are it, I think. Um I also think I don't think this will ever happen. I would love to see the one-on-one king of the court style. I I actually think that's the thing that would get people tuned in. I think if they did a li- with the dudes, like the best players, if they, or even two on two or three on three, something like that. But if it was like some sort of bracket, you know, one and done NCAA tournament style, one-on-one, two on two, three on three, whatever, the king of the court thing would be really cool. But like, I think people would love that. I think it would be a blast to watch. I would really enjoy yeah. it. I don't know if you could get, but I think the competitive spirit, like, LeBron going to let KD cook him in a one-on-one game to seven? Yep. I don't I don't think so. And so I think that would be a blast if you could get the guys to do it. I think that's a really good idea to do king of the court and play for like 30 minutes and whoever's the king of the court at the end of the 30 minutes wins. Yep. Or like whoever wins the most like ones. That could be interesting. Yeah. You like no, keep I, track of it and let it go. There's, there's also some shooting games that I always enjoyed playing with my teammates that I think would be fun as well. So like we played a game called 50, some people out there, it, it's, it's essentially a three point shooting game, but you and a partner, and then there's guys that can tip under the basket just adds a little different element. Or we played one called on the board. So like I would shoot that puts one on the board. You would shoot that puts two on the board. Next person shoots 
three on the if you make it, of course. And the points just keep adding up. And then whenever a person minutes misses, excuse me, they take those points. So let's say we put three on the board, person four misses. Now they have three points. When you get to 10, you're out. So like I just think shooting, like just think of all the games you played growing up and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Again, the caveat being Sam, at the end of the day, the guys have to be competitive with it, right? Like I think that's why yep. the three-point competition is fun is it's easy to be competitive with three-point competition. There's no risk of energy, uh, excuse me, injury, anything like that. And so that's why that's the one that's probably held around for as long as it has. Yeah. No, I think that's a good call. The, they, I do like king of the court. That's a good idea. I think it would be awesome. Once. Who would win? Katie. Agreed. Katie, I think Katie. Katie, Katie would win. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, LeBron, LeBron would be interesting. Like, I think LeBron like might like really go for it and like take it like really serious. I think KD would win. Maybe, maybe Jokic. Like Jokic might just like bury some dudes and just like make these like ridiculous shots. But you'd have to do like a what like maybe eight to twelve second shot clock, something like that. So, so somebody put three dribble, three dribble. So like whenever I was a coach and we would play one on one because I do think not to get coachy here, but I think there's player development in playing one-on-one. -on -one. Like I think it's good for kids to do yeah, that totally. at times, but it's not yeah. dribble all over the court. It is, you get five dribbles, three dribbles, whatever from the top of the key to go get a bucket. You can't dribble around. So what is it? 12 second shot clock with three dribbles or five dribbles, something like that. Now it evens the playing field for some of these smaller guys, right? Cause Jokic can't just back Jalen Brunson down for 17 like seconds it. and seven dribbles. Like he, either has to make a quick move and get there or take, you know, a mid post jumper, something like that. Yeah, no, I like that too. Uh, I think three dribbles, three dribble max is a good winner. Yeah, this is, we came up with two legitimately great ideas here. Old versus young to fix the all-star game and then king of the court. Th that would be really fun. I think that would truly I, be really, really fun. And, and the reason I thought about this is, I don't know if you watch any of the NFL uh, pro bowl stuff, yeah, I, I watched Orlovsky wreck. So I was glued to the TV whenever they were doing the, the hike. Did you see the snapping one where they were trying to snap the ball? So like it, I was just was fascinated by some of those little mini games and stuff. So that's what I started thinking of is like just what, what, because the one-on-one -on -one I did was actually something that I had already written down before I asked people. So I'll take credit for that one. Again, the old yeah. versus young was not my original idea. So I don't want to take credit for it, but I was just like, I didn't like the flag football game for the Pro Bowl, but some of the other little competitions they came up with really had me kind of fascinated. I'm like, the NBA could do this. They could come up with some of these things that I think people would really – and I even think it would be good for in-person, right? Like, you get to sit there and watch LeBron and KD go one-on-one, -on -one, three dribble, max, 12-second, like, fast pace. 100%. Like, it just goes the whole and thing goes. The whole thing with All-Star is getting the stars involved more yes. in semi-competitive environments. And if you do that and you get LeBron versus KD or somebody like that, Booker just starts cooking people, right? Yep. It's going to go. Like, I, I think that it would go a little bit and people would love to see it. That's the other yeah. thing. Like, getting them involved a little bit more, I think, would be really fun. Yeah. Um, and, like, make the All-Stars do it. Do it like the NHL where, like, <clears throat> everybody on the team, like, has to contribute in some portion of the night in some way uh yeah like make it like a thing where you have to 
is, is kind of a good idea. So that's what my best friend from high school said. He goes, just make him have to do something. So you know what? Like, let's play a game of horse. I would love, I would, if LeBron doesn't want to play one-on-one and Steph doesn't want, I'd watch LeBron and Steph play a game of horse. Like Steph just made a shot from 150 feet last night, walking out of the tunnel. You know, I'm like, I would watch those two do that. It wouldn't be crazy entertaining, but I would watch him do it because they're two of the best that have ever done this. And I bet they would pull out some cool stuff. And again, I bet eventually you'd get competitive because Sam, if you and I went to the gym to play horse, I know that if you beat me, we wouldn't talk for a week. I would boycott the podcast for an entire week. And I'm not the level of competitor of Steph Curry, LeBron James, or any other NBA player. So it doesn't matter what it is. If there's a camera and a basketball and a hoop, and again, I think this the five-on-five makes it easy, right? We don't want to get hurt. Yeah. They don't have to expend that much energy playing horse. I would watch it, though. I would even watch that, and I don't think that's anywhere close to one of the better ideas we've come up with. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, okay. Last thing I want to close on. So I did not prepare you for this. So this will be fun. Can't wait. Uh, So Ohio State, the hat, you know, where I went to college, everything like that. Um, I I care about the basketball team uh, to a degree that uh, has not been great uh, for the last couple of years. But Ohio State fires Chris Holtman yesterday. And a couple of things here. I kind of want to just talk about it very briefly. The first thing I want to say is like, I I really loved having Chris Holtman is the coach of the Ohio state basketball team, because he's just like an awesome, a just an awesome human being, like an incredible representative of college basketball, of basketball in general, uh, a representative of the university. Like Chris Holtman's everything you could want in that regard. He's an unbelievable person, unbelievable character. Uh, reliable uh, like as a human being like takes time for literally everybody that like comes into contact with him just a tremendous tremendous human being and unfortunately they didn't win enough games right and you know i i haven't you know talked to holtman a lot like since this whole thing happened yesterday but i'd imagine that like he understands you know they didn't win enough Right. They went five and 15 in the Big Ten last year. And I think they're what, like probably two and nine or something right now in the Big Ten. So. Four and ten. Four and ten in the Big Ten in the Big Ten. OK, yeah. so. I'm sure that like on some level, like he's disappointed, he's disappointed he couldn't win. He's disappointed for his players. He's disappointed, you know, across the board. Um, I don't love firing coaches mid-season unless they do something wrong i guess is what i would say like if if chris holtman was like a bad human or if he was a person that was like cheating and you felt like we had to get out ahead of firing him so he didn't get us in ncaa trouble for the next coach cool right but like chris holtman is none of those things uh he is an awesome human being and like a high character dude to be around. And I've seen some people speculate like, Hey, no, like you need to start the firing process early because it gets you into the market first. It puts pressure on other schools. All that's bullshit. All that is total bullshit. 
if you think that Ohio State and new athletic director who's incoming, Ross Bjork, current athletic director, Gene Smith, if you think those guys haven't been planning for a potential that they have to fire Chris Holtman over the course of the last like three weeks, month, you're out of your mind. You are completely out of your mind and do not understand how any of this works. They have been getting candidate lists together. I'm sure they've been having conversations with agencies. I am sure they've been having conversations, uh, maybe not specifically directly with coaches, but understanding who's available, who's not available, who would have interest, who wouldn't have interest, right? Yep. You can do all of that while Chris Holtman is still the coach. Yeah. Like, it's the reality of being a college basketball coach now. Like, Absolutely. If Chris Holtman would have continued to lose games and would have continued to go, you know, five and 15 again in the Big Ten or even like seven and 13 again in the Big Ten, like even if they go 500 down the stretch here, right? That's not going to change the outcome. And this team's like not going to play any differently or better or anything, in my opinion. Under Jake Diebler, go to the coaches. I think Jake Diebler is like, that's not going to change. So I don't like firing coaches midseason point blank. Do you have any thoughts on that? Bryce? No, I, th I thought it was weird. Like, obviously I don't follow Ohio state nearly as close as you. And, you know, really it's just been like, you know, trying to track Roddy Gale and Bruce Thornton and, you know, Scotty Middleton early on. So I've watched games and all of that. Yeah. When it came across, I was just like, why now? Like what? February 15th. Why, why now? Like, why not? Cause you're right. Like, unless it's like a, test run for Diebler, which you may would have some more insight into that than me. So if yeah. it's not like, yeah. what's the point? And, you know, to me, and maybe I'm wrong here, like just let the guy finish out the season, you know, or yeah. I don't know, maybe Holtman caught wind of it. The conversations were enough and all that he decided, you know, maybe, but I mean, I, I can, that I doesn't can make sense you, either. That's, that's I, not what happened. Yeah. I, I will tell you this. And I, I didn't, I mean, I was an assistant coach at that level. I would want to finish out a season I started like that. Just, yeah. just for me, I would never leave a team in the middle of a season. And there's been times where I've gone from coaching one to a neck, different programs and stuff like that. And I knew during the season, Sam, but I didn't tell people. And I finished that because it's like, those are your guys or your girls or whatever. You recruited all of those kids and I would want a chance to stick it out with them unless I had just completely lost the locker room or done something stupid or whatever, which by any accounts doesn't sound like what the situation is here. And now it moves to like who the next coach is going to be like, I'm as interested in that as anybody, right? Everything I know look like Ross Bjork's hiring history is not great. I'd imagine he's the one making the decision um, as opposed to Gene Smith. Uh, Russ Bjork's hiring history is like not great. You know, Texas A&M, uh, Jimbo Fisher and Buzz Williams. Uh, he was at Ole Miss before that. I think he hired Kermit Davis. Like the, the history here is not awesome. And I'm a little bit worried about that. And I hope that he lets some smart people kind of help him along the way. Cause he's from what I understand, he's more of like a football background and more of a fundraising background okay. specifically. Sure. Um, names that come to mind, like Greg McDermott was, yeah, that was my number one involved last time in this, whenever uh, they decided to 
the Ohio State coaching fires, by the way, are always fucking bizarre. Because if you remember, like Thad Mata was in the middle of the summer. Like it, it, it like made no sense. Like it was like a mutual decision because of like health problems or whatever. But it was like in the middle of the summer and it was weird that like that happened. And then Holtman got the job in the middle of the summer, basically. And now we've got like a mid season deal where Holtman's getting fired. Right. Uh, do a normal firing for once, please. <laughs> Ohio state. Uh, Greg, Greg McDermott stood out as like a real potential outcome. Uh, Lamont Paris is like an interesting name. He's been terrific this year at South Carolina. Uh, I mean, like other names like Sean Miller, I think would be like fantastic. I think Sean's a terrific basketball coach, uh, you know, in Ohio already at Xavier has a long history at Xavier in Ohio. I'd imagine that from what I understand about like their new athletic director and the department and things that they're going to take some big swings pretty early. Uh, what like, about uh, really Dusty cool. May at FAU? Like, is, would this be the year? I, I would love it. Move? I would love it. I think that would make a ton of sense. But uh, does Dusty end up waiting for Indiana? Does he wait for Michigan? Like, which one of those? Honestly, like, I think there's a case that Ohio State has every bit as much uh, potential, certainly, as Michigan. I, I don't think as much as Indiana, if only because, man, the Schottenstein Center at Ohio State, uh, the arena is just such a, it's such a mess. Like it's way far back. It's almost like a pro arena kind of, it's hard to get like real atmosphere. And that's not me blaming the fans. It's blaming like the layout of the gym and everything. Like, I think it's, I think it's just hard to create, create atmosphere. It is obviously a football school. Like, let's not get that twisted, but it, it, that place can feel empty when the team is not like a, like a legit, like contender for the big 10, let alone like a middling team or a bad team. So I do think Indiana is probably a better job. And I wonder if Dusty may would kind of wait to see what happens with Mike Woodson at Indiana. Got you. Now that's what uh, uh, McDermott was a, you know, one of the first names for sure. Yeah. Like Mick Cronin would be interesting. Nico Medved, I think would be somewhat interesting. Uh, Ohio State like should be chasing bigger like high end names though and like seeing just basically like make everybody say no that's outside of the Big Ten or the SEC right now because the Big Ten and the SEC have such distinct advantages financially at this point especially the bigger schools like in Ohio State like in Alabama places like that Texas is moving to the SEC as well obviously like these schools have such distinct financial resource advantages that like, I think you make like Shaka smart saying no. And like, he probably would like, you know, everything's going great at Marquette and everything is good. But like Shaka smart went to college in Ohio at Kenyon, like from the Midwest, like I'm going for guys like that to start. And then we see where it goes. Not to say that Shaka like would leave. I don't think he would, but you just kind of, to me, that's where that starts. Like you start at that level. And I think the world of, you know, Shaka as a coach, but like you, you start at that level and kind of move down because that's what, that's what this job is now. Kind of like it, it is that level of high impact, like high financial resources job. The only issue is like 
the arena and like the facility the arena more than the facilities the arena is just like really not great and it's hard to create atmosphere yeah i mean i mean it makes sense like why not start at the top with the biggest names that you could find the relationship find the connection hit on it and then you know like you said move your way until you find somebody that, that bites and and then you are in the big 10 so um and and have resources to you know ideally throw around and and see if you can make yeah. something happen yeah and like i i listened to mark titus talk about this yesterday and um you know mark's mark's a good friend of mine so like you know uh, it's not surprising that he and i kind of have similar thought processes on this but like a big thing that he brought up is just like they need to get energy back in the program sure uh, they they need to like get the fan base like back engaged and I, I don't think this was like holtman's doing necessarily or anything but like get the fan base back get the energy get the like just m- make it feel like it's something again like it even by the end of like the Thad Mata run and kind of moving into the Holtman run, it has felt a little bit stale and irrelevant uh, in a way that's disappointing to me as somebody yeah. who wants the success and wants the most for that program. And sometimes at the end of the day, that's what it's about, right? Like getting, we talk about this all the time, like getting a new voice in the locker room or what, like just yeah. getting a new voice for the program, a different type of energy. And the thing is to your point, go, like don't, handcuff or, or, you know, put yourself in a box with who you reach out to. Maybe one of these coaches we haven't even talked about, maybe they feel like they need that. Maybe they feel like, Hey, I need a change of scenery. I would like a new challenge, something like that. Right? Like all of these people have egos and, and you know, they're competitors, not egos in a negative way, but like, who knows? Maybe some, no, you know, yeah. they look at Ohio state and say, Hey, that program needs everything you're talking about, Sam. I want to go see if I can be that guy. I've done this, this, and this here. Let me see if I can go there and do these things or I'm the perfect fit or this is, this is, it's a relationship game. Maybe you just connect with somebody, you get on the phone and all of a sudden, you know, I remember the first time I ever talked with you, Sam, I called for a 10 minute, just like introduce myself. Mm -hmm. And we ended up on the phone for an hour and a half. You took a trip to home Depot during it. And it grew to this, like you just never know when you make that phone call, how things can connect. So never put yourself in a box in terms of, who you think you can get or whatever. There may be somebody out there that says, Hey, that job, you know, they call me. I'll, I'll actually take a look. You get them on campus. Who knows where it goes from there? Same thing with recruiting. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And like, I don't know what the budget's going to be. Like I think Holtman was at like three and a half million per year. Uh, I, I would hope that they're going to offer a coach more than three and a half million per year for this job. Cause um, it's it's a job with real substantial upside and you could get a very significant real coach if you're willing to pay for it and do uh, what is necessary in order to get somebody like that. Uh, you, you can win big at Ohio State. Thad Mata has proven that recently that you can win big at Ohio State. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, Chris just couldn't do it. And that's it sucks. It's sad. Uh, I, I, I feel bad for him and feel bad for the players and feel for everybody involved. But like, um, you know, I think, you know, at the end of the day, he probably understands as well as anybody he just didn't win enough games and that's hard, but uh, that's where I'm at on the Ohio state thing. We'll probably talk again about this when they make an eventual hire. Sure. Uh, I, I just don't see an advantage of like, quote unquote, being to market first. All these things are happening behind the scenes as it is like that. Yeah. All, Agents are being reached out to constantly trying to understand 
where the marketplace sits, everything like that. And if you're Ohio State, like you have all the resources in the world to be able to go and get all of the intel you need. So I was a little bit disappointed that you got fired midseason. I guess yeah. is where I'm at. Bryce, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. Um, if you're a Pistons fan, the Pistons Pulse um, going live. We change it up Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, then dropping on podcasts. The next day, I did start a Substack, just where I put my raw game notes. I don't write articles. I don't have time to write articles, and I hate writing, but <laughs> I, I'm I'm taking notes over these games I watch anyway. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna put them out there, and if people want to read them, they can. If they don't, that's you know, it's fine. But um, that's on my Twitter feed. If you want to, you know, check that out over at Substack. Otherwise, um, here with Sam doing game theory again. Shout out Dave for all of the stuff he put in, all the work he put in behind the scenes to. You know, the intro was cool finally seeing it and the graphics and all of that. It's it, it's really cool. Also, shout out to everybody listening to the the mock draft. That one it, it did really well. So appreciate everybody uh tuning out for that or tuning in for that. Yeah, did awesome. Out. Did a fan. Thank you all to the listeners. Uh hit the subscribe button over on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button over on uh the Spotify, Apple feed, whatever you use for podcasts. It really helps. It does. Hitting the five star button, hitting the like button, whatever you can do to support the show. It's really valuable. It really, really does help. Like no matter what people say about uh, all this stuff, like hitting those buttons really do help. So uh, we will be back early next week, Sunday, Monday, something like that. Uh, Maybe after the all-star game, we'll see if anything interesting happens. If not, then I'll probably just like not talk about the all-star game and we'll talk about draft stuff. Who knows? Uh, But we'll be back early next week until next time. We'll talk soon.